0: Why do you want to be inspiring leaders? It's not because I want... There's something about me that needs to be inspiring. It's because I want people to feel inspired.
1: Okay, let's do it.
2: Let's do it. Welcome
1: to another episode of the Inspired Leadership Podcast. My name is Susan Power founder and CEO of Power Up Leadership in Halifax, Nova Scotia. And I am here today with co-host Tyler Bailey, professional virtual presenter and coach based in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Today we have a treat for you. We are talking about building a future ready workforce. Deloitte recently released a report with some really sound practical recommendations on this topic. And our guest today, Kathy Woods is partner and national lead of workforce transformation. She's a partner in Deloitte's human capital consulting practice. And as part of this, she has the privilege to sit on Deloitte's global workforce transformation leadership team. So this truly is Kathy's world advising C-suite clients on the rapidly changing world of work and the demands of our digital world. Kathy is incredibly active, both professionally and she lives in Toronto with her husband and 17-year-old daughter. I think you are truly going to enjoy this podcast. Let's hop into it.
2: Thank you so much for joining us at the Inspired Leadership Podcast. Welcome.
1: Thank you. It's great to be
0: here.
2: I want to start this off by saying Deloitte just released a report, and the report is about Building a Future-Ready Workforce. Can you please tell us a little about what your role is at Deloitte, and what does a future-ready workforce look like?
0: At Deloitte, I run what we call our workforce transformation business. And, and what that means is really focusing on everything we need to do as organizations to build the people, the talent, the workforce that we need to be successful now and into the future. Might sound like motherhood, but that's things like training, uh, leadership development, succession planning. But then it's also thinking about what are the skills for the future? What's changing? How do we help people learn differently? How do we integrate technology?
2: A Future ready workforce looks like one that is What is, is constantly learning and tackling these, these new skills that are, that are coming up?
0: I think that's a good characterization of what you would see in a future ready workforce. Um, Really future ready just means that you are in a position to have the capabilities, the people, the talent in place when and where you need them to deliver on what you need for the organization.
1: It sounds so simple, but I mean, with the past year we've had in so many organizations (laughs) just trying to keep their lights on, I feel like thinking about, you know, the future of work and the future ready workforce has kind of gone on the back burner for a lot of organizations. So how do we kind of start shifting them back to looking more longer term? And our theme of the podcast, as you know, Kathy is inspired leadership so this might be a good foray into that. We, we like to ask our guests this question and we get so many different answers. So from your lens, can you please tell us what does inspired leadership mean to you?
0: Inspired leadership in my mind is about authenticity. Um, to me, inspired leadership is how do you bring your whole self to work as a leader and then engage and unleash the power of the people around you whether that's people who work quote for you, people who work with you, or, or in fact, people you work for, how do you bring that own personal brand of leadership to the table to bring up the best in everybody when and where you need it? I think authenticity is the fundamental piece of that. What it all comes down to bringing your authentic self
1: to the table. So there could be 50 different flavors of authentic inspired leadership, just like ice cream. Everyone has a different flavor favorite flavor but they could be all amazing and delicious to different people but just different versions of authenticity depending on the leader
0: absolutely because what why do you want to be an inspiring leader it's not because i want there's something about me that needs to be inspiring it's because i want people to feel inspired
2: on the other point you're you're talking about the future of work and what do you think this means especially for leaders moving into this new hybrid workplace, d- how are they gonna have to adapt and, and inspire through this new, like this medium of, especially the the copy well, of a copy world where we're just a, an image on a screen instead of actually in person? or How are, what do you see as a, the future of leadership?
0: So I think the future of leadership is going to come back to what I would call enduring human capabilities. You'll hear me talk about that more and more and you'll hear this theme of authenticity coming back more and more so when you talk about the future of leadership it's less about are you the best functional leader if i'm the cfo am i the best finance person um it's less about am i the best technical leader it's now going to be so much more about those innate leadership capabilities around connecting with people, bringing your authentic self to the table, relationship building, um, the ability to try and to fail and to be vulnerable in that context.
2: More than half of companies believe that the workforce needs to change their skills and, and their capabilities in the next three years. However, only 16% expect to make significant investments over the next three years. So can you shed some light on the disconnect between that
0: yeah so first let's just look at the sort of the two ends of the spectrum the data number one um the half-life of skills and capabilities is dropping significantly so a technical skill it's something like 18 months is how long that is going to be the half-life for that skill and a business skill is maybe around two years or a little longer
1: You're making me think that if the shelf life is that short and that's quite astounding, it almost feels like just getting strong at learning and building this learning mindset and adaptability becomes much more important than any skill because, you know, I'm 44 and the attitude I've encountered in some workplaces is Once you reach a certain level, you kind of, you know, you're just, you're, you're good and you learn the technology, but you don't have to continue to progress and learn. And that's hundred percent false based on what you're, you're sharing with us.
0: It is entirely false. Learning is all about growth and, and we need to continue to learn in order to continue to grow. And if we're not growing, then the alternative seems to me that we're dying,
1: If we shift gears to more return to work, hybrid workspace, uh, keep hearing terms such as touchdown spaces, blended meetings, issues like proximity bias, what would you say leaders need to do to equip their teams when and if we return to the office under, say, a hybrid model?
0: I would almost flip the question and say, what do we need to do to equip our leaders? Because I'm finding that actually in many situations, it's the employees in general, if I dare use that term, who are saying, we want a hybrid environment. We want to be able to mix working from home, working in the office. So I think it's equipping leaders to feel confident and comfortable in how they, um, how they can show up and manage differently when some people are virtual and some people are in person. How they can set some guidelines for how space gets used when you use those touchdown spaces. Um, if you're in a hybrid environment, when do you come in to the physical workforce?
2: Could you clarify um, for, us, uh, for the listener exactly what, what a touchdown space is exactly?
0: Let's say I'm mostly a virtual worker and I've come in to a physical workspace in order to have some meetings. And maybe I've got a meeting with you, Tyler, in the morning and one with you, Susan, in the afternoon. In, you know, the old days in that kind of context, I might've had to go find a Starbucks to hang out at, or like, Mm -hmm. what was I going to do in between my meeting with Susan and Tyler? A touchdown space is a space that is physically constructed within that environment designed for just that. So I don't have to go find a Starbucks or go shopping or you know, whatever it has to be. I, I have a place where I can go touchdown for a while before I connect to my next activity.
2: Okay. Okay. So it's not, <laughs> not <football. laughs> it's not football. It's
0: not football. Okay. It's not football. It's not the plane is landing. Um the first time I was like, what the heck is a touchdown space? But when you describe it it makes sense.
1: Yeah, <laughs> when pro- I learned that it, like yeah. The proximity bias I think makes more sense to me like I I keep hearing from coaching clients because I work as a leadership coach of concerns about I want to get back to the workplace because I want to go up for promotion to VP and I want to build relationships it's easier to build relationships in person and is that what the proximity bias is people who are virtual feeling like they might be kind of left in, in the dark a bit or have a disadvantage if they're not on site? I think that's what the concern about the proximity bias
0: is. It's that, and there are a number of ways it can unfold. So one it can be about promotion, if I'm not, you know, out of sight, out of mind, right? So if I'm not there, I won't be seen, I won't get promoted. Another one is that it's just, I'm not going to have the network or connections that I need to truly be successful. So to do my job well, right, if I'm, you think about it, um, when we used to be in an office, wandering around the office, um, you know, Deloitte has a very, already had a very advanced office space that was designed, in fact, to be pretty hybrid in and of itself, but also so that we could have collisions, so to speak. So, you know, I'm walking from one meeting to the next, I run into you on the stairs that are in sort of the center of the building, we stop and we have a chat and the stairs are designed to be extra wide. So it's easy to stop and have a chat on those landings, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I think that's the other part of proximity bias is just the connections that you build. And I think the last one is that for those of us who are more extroverted in how we get our energy, in other words, we get a lot of energy from people, there is that sense of, I, I need that proximity on some level for my, my own mental health and well being. Tyler, I know, I know. you look like you're gonna say something, but I, I mean, a, I, I have
2: some examples thing. of that. My question was uh, to do with um, moving a company that's pretty situated in a traditional way of thinking and acting and just being in general. Um, how would they start transitioning? What are the first few steps, do you believe, of transitioning to a hybrid workplace?
0: that one might be a good question to answer in the context of actual kind of return to office post COVID, because that's really the practical, practically what people are are feeling right now. Mm -hmm. So we tend to think about it in in three steps. So the first one is respond to the return to office with, you know, through the lens of health and safety. So I like to think of that as foundations, right? Get the basics in place so that people feel confident and comfortable coming back in in an environment that's safe. The organization is confident about that. So that's all the basic stuff. The next phase we would call adapt and experiment. And and that to me is the most exciting phase. So that's where you just start to design some things. How hybrid do you wanna be? What are the guiding principles you're going to use that fit with your culture? how are we going to then design our space? And then as you start to do that, start to get out there and try it out, experiment, what works, what doesn't work, use this classic agile mentality um, so that you can learn as you go. And then the final phase is really about what we would call
1: that sustained resilience in whatever your new hybrid model is. Over the past year, Kathy, organizations have had to kind of find their groove and how to be creative to create space for employees to collaborate virtually. Are there any best practices you've heard of that organizations have rolled out to encourage collaboration in this virtual space? So I I think there's probably kind of three
0: key buckets I would put it in. I'll probably think of a couple more as I go along, but you know, one is a little bit of what you were referring to, which is, you know, how do you how do you allow the opportunity for some of that informal networking and collisions when you're virtual? The second one is using technology and tools to support collaboration differently. The third one gets back to the culture and the leadership and the trust that you create to allow collaboration. But but one of the things we get stuck on in our corporate environments or, you know, not even not so corporate environments is how am I going to train people to use this? Well, how did you get trained to use your phone? Hmm. Um, So like you didn't, right. You just got forced in to play around with it.
1: There, there is some resistance to it though. Like you just reminded me of the attachment I had to my Blackberry. I was so resistant to the smartphone when it first came out because I wanted my keyboard. Now I feel like that was really, you know. (laughs) silly it feels so long ago so you're talking about how you get over that
0: resistance
1: yeah to encourage people go experiment play check it out like how do you because some people love that they'll just dive into it some people are attached to you know the physical whiteboard in the office or whatever it might be
0: if you think about how like you've got early adopters so get those early adopters out there get the technology in with them and then they'll bring along that you know chunk of people who are typically in the middle. But the other part of it is think about who is now using Zoom and Teams, et cetera, et cetera, who you never would have thought you'd see in this environment. And what's caused that? Necessity.
1: What role does coaching play in building some of these capabilities? And specifically, I know the ones in the Deloitte report call out resilience, stress management, and emotional intelligence as being really key. What role would you say coaching plays in, in all of this?
0: Sorry, Susan, there's no role for you anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Coaching plays a huge role. And we learn from other people. Um, we, we always have apprenticeship models, whatever, providing support, Because if there's anything that I'm hearing consistently, it's like, I really miss that personal connection with people.
2: Hmm. Do you you have any recommendations around around AI analytics with with the idea of like, how do we analyze the job at hand and how do we have any, what what parts can we automate so we can be more effective in a job?
0: There are a number of tools out there. We have a tool called Photo, for example, which is um, an AI-based tool that allows you to look at the work that's being done. It breaks the work down into tasks to the task level and then looks at those tasks and figures out what if this can be automated, what needs to be done sort of in person by somebody locally and, and in proximity and what things can be outsourced or pushed off the balance sheet or done further away. And then what that lets you do is look at opportunities at how you might re-architect the work you're doing. At the end of the day, just because something can be automated, doesn't necessarily mean it should be automated. Mm. So what you do with what comes out of that is you then apply good judgment and good thinking and a good strategic mind. And you look at the work from a human perspective and you say, how are we going to humanize the experience and use our people to do those things that are innately human and and then make those choices around automation.
1: I really like your comment about just because a job can be automated doesn't mean it necessarily should be. And the, the one example that seems like an easy one that pops to mind is the receptionist role, right? Where easy to automate. I've been in offices in Boston where you enter in who you're going to meet in the directory and that rings them up and they come and they they know you're there. but I'm sure there's some companies that that human element still want that in-person uh, receptionists, whether it's a he or a she, to smile, greet the customers, the kind of the branding. So how, how do you even start to figure out what jobs should be automated? Mm-hmm. So
0: I think you start by looking at who are you as an organization, and what is the culture that you want to create? Or the sometimes I don't like the word culture because it's so soft. But what do you want to be? What do you want it to feel like here? What do you stand for? What's the, the environment?
2: Part of Pardon your, me. The overall vision of what you're. The overall
0: vision. Yeah. You know, what is it like? What do you want it to be like in our company? Hmm. Start there as kind of that. Then's your. That's the thing you can hold up to test. Test things out. I would then go to something like photo that's going to give you the place to start and start testing things against Mm -hmm. And then some of the other considerations you have are, well, if I have a workforce and, you know, a thousand people in that workforce are doing a job that could be automated. And most of those thousand people are from, let's say more of a marginalized population. Where does that stand relative to my corporate social responsibility and ESG and, and, And am I going to automate that and and put those people out of work or am I going to have a plan to automate it down the road and in the meantime think about how am I going to upskill or reskill or redeploy those people. So there's all those kinds of questions that then go into play.
2: Where, where can our listeners go to learn more about Deloitte's workplace transformation services or even more about what you are doing? If they have any questions for you. Well,
0: they can certainly contact me directly if they want via email and we can share that email. It's kawoods at Deloitte.ca. Um, to just generally look up, we have a ton of stuff out there on the internet. I think the easiest place to start is probably to just Google Deloitte, building a future ready workforce. And that will take you to sort of a landing page with some information, um, and as well as some additional contact.
1: Awesome! Thank you, Kathy. Thanks so much for coming on Inspired Leadership today. Really nice to have you.
0: It is my pleasure. As you can tell, there's not a lot on this topic that I like talking about. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Welcome back. Big thank you to Kathy Woods for stopping to inspire leadership today and letting us know about how we can make ourselves more marketable, what we can do to take our workforce and make it more future ready. Thank you so much. And if you did like this cast or you know somebody that might like this cast, let them know. Shoot them the link. It really helps us out. But also if you want to get updated about when our next podcast come out. We have a lot of guests coming on, so there's going to be quite a few different ones coming up. You want updated, subscribe to the cast, and you will get that update when it drops. Thank you so much again, and remember, stay inspired.